Thanks for joining us today for the next episode of the Better Events Podcast. In today's podcast, we're joined by Jacqueline from Plan Me Away LLC, and she'll be sharing how to stay COVID compliant at hybrid events. Join us to learn more about this super current topic right now. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. Uh, We're very excited to have our friend Jacqueline Sobel here. We're going to be talking about COVID compliance at hybrid events. Super stoked. I can't believe we've already had a little bit of a conversation, but we're going to leave the nest eggs in there for you. Uh, If you're new here, I'm Logan Clements. I'm a freelance event producer based in Seattle, Washington, now working a lot in virtual events, but excited to get back into in-person. And I'll let Mary, my co-host, introduce herself. Hi, everybody. My name is Mary Davidson, and my business is EP Events, and I specialize in fundraising events. And yeah, just super excited to be here today with Jacqueline. So Jacqueline, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself as well? Hi, everybody. I am Jacqueline. My company is called Plan Me Away. I am an event producer. I also work in um, live event production when we were in person, and now we're slowly coming back as Logan mentioned. So excited to be here. And we are so excited to have you here, Jacqueline. Uh, One of the reasons why we asked Jacqueline to join was that she just is coming off what we're calling a hybrid event. And we'll let Jacqueline counter that if she agrees if it's hybrid or not. But it was in California where her talent and event staff were in person, but all of the attendees and the guests were virtual. And so we wanted to bring her in to talk through just some of the how COVID impacted that that shoot, that event, and had a everything from the planning process to the finished product, as well as giving all of us tangible tips for ourselves as we get into hybrid events and things that we should be thinking about as event producers, planners, and organizers. So coming off of this event that you were working on, you worked a bit with COVID compliance. So what does that even mean? It means different things to different people. So first I'm gonna say that we're here at the end of March um, of 2021. And so uh, things are changing slowly as um, people are getting vaccinated. But here I'm in L.A. County and here in L.A. County, there are some strict guidelines for film and production. So for the event that I just worked on, it fell under the film and production uh, guidelines. Um, So the the rules here are um, which updated in January, but the rules here are You need to have a PCR test, which I like to call the sinus cleaner up the nose, uh, two to three days before you go to set. And um, every seven days, once you're on set, if you're there for that long. Uh, We implemented every four days as a rapid test. So you got a rapid test day one on your first day on set, a rapid test day four, and then day seven, um, you got another PCR test. Uh, We were on site for about three weeks or so. It was about a week of load-in, four days of shooting, and two days of breakdown. Um, And we had a fairly large crew, and it was a little bit on the complicated side because uh, not everybody was there starting on the same day or ending on the same day. And some people were there just for load-in, like the crew, the stagehands that would come in for load-in, and then would come back. So they needed to have a second pre-site 
PCR test. Um, so it became a little bit complicated, but we did work with a COVID compliance company. Uh, we also had to have a walkthrough with the County of Los Angeles uh, to make sure everything was COVID compliant, which they do now for every uh, production that is happening here in LA. So we are not, uh, we're not alone, um, but I'm happy to say we passed with two thumbs up. Um, but I've also done some smaller productions. Again, no audience, everything is virtual where executives or talent um, come into a studio. So I did one in Florida where um, with all due respect to Florida, they're kind of a free for all and there are no rules. Um, I also did some in Northern California um, where they have rules, but they're not as strict as they are here in LA County. So the answer to the question of what is COVID compliance, the short complicated answer is, well, it depends where you live and not, not, excuse me, not where you live. It depends on where your production is happening, right? So if it's all hybrid, you have nothing to worry about, right? Like we're doing this all virtually. We're not in person, so we don't have to do any COVID testing. Um, and I will also caveat by this by saying, I'm not a medical professional by any stretch of the we nature. Could have, we could have probably started on with that. Professionals. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, I rely on medical professionals for um, guidance and information. Um, but you should uh, check out the CDC recommendations and your county, your state, and even sometimes your local city has special rules depending where you're located. And every country is different as well. So if we have any people outside of the US, um, check, check what your rules are as well, because everywhere is different. So that's the long short answer. <laughs> No, that's super helpful, Jacqueline. And I think, I mean, it's it's fair to say, yes, you're not a medical professional, but I also think in events, like you are, there are event people that are also not medical professionals, but will be like you were and responsible for implementing these things and having that, you know, similar understanding. And it's really helpful to hear that the guidelines are different everywhere you went. Have you found then with your experience, it's based on, when you say it depends on the location though, it's depending physically like wh what location you're asking people to come to, correct? Not from like where they're from. Like if you had someone from California going to Florida, you guys are following the Florida guidelines because that's where the shoot is hosted. Right, and you also have to read the rules like flying here into California, there's some guidelines that you have to follow and some paperwork you have to fill out, right? So we had crew that were traveling in uh, that were not local here um, and they had to like, follow rules. There are quarantine rules here in California, but film and production um, fills on, falls under essential travel oh, and wow. because they're getting constantly tested um, for, for the production. They don't necessarily have to quarantine for the 10 or 14 days. Um, but again, you have to check the rules for your local municipality, wherever, wherever you are. Um, and would you suggest starting? Is that like a county level that you're you're seeing that is who you, who you mainly go to, or did you guys go as in depth as looking from like national down to state, down to county, down to town? We well here in LA County, we went through the LA County guidelines. Um, the film and production one here is called Appendix J. Uh, there's one like I think it's Appendix I is for restaurants, and there's one for every industry. There's one for like hair salons and nail salons and so on and so forth and gyms. Uh, the film and production is Appendix J. So we we follow those guidelines through through the county. We also had to have a permit for the venue we're at through a different place. And so we had to also submit our COVID compliance and our guidelines and our floor plans and everything for that. I mean, they're all the same. The floor plans don't change by where we're submitting them to, but um, they get submitted basically out to everybody for approval and sign off, including the venue where we were we were filming at. 
So you just touched on this a little bit, um, the permits. So I was wondering how the permits do change. So is that just, I guess, so like it, in order to make sure that you are abiding by COVID compliance, is that like a permit? Because you said that the county came and did a walkthrough. No, you just have to like register. Or... Our, so it depends. It depends where you're located. Depends if you need a permit or not. Right. But per the Appendix J that I was referencing here in L.A. County, you do need to submit your um, all your plans, your floor plans, your catering, catering uh, for all craft services and catering is mandated to be outside. Right. Nothing can be inside because uh, nobody wants their uh, masks being taken off inside for any food or beverage. Um, so we need to submit those plans. Um, and that did not require a permit. It did have a walkthrough. Like I said, the county came um, when we started filming after our load in to do a walkthrough with us. Um, I had my pre-site PCR test and went and did the walkthrough. I had my N95 and my face shield on and uh, everything was great. So um, so it depends where you're located, depends where you need a permit. When we did the, when we did the um, production uh, in Florida, again, there's no uh, hard and fast guidelines where we were in the county in Florida, um, but we implemented after having conversations with the client, it was a much smaller crew, it was maybe like 20, 25 people uh, versus the couple hundred that we had here in LA. Um, so we just tested everybody every other day. Um, we had a COVID compliance officer who was also a medical professional, because uh, again, I'm not a medical professional and there's different rules and guidelines, but I would recommend um, if you are having on-site testing, uh, that a medical professional administers the actual test. Yeah, and I think Jacqueline, it's all interesting things to think about as an organizer. And I'd love to know, like to speak to your role in all of this, was this like another facet of you all having to oversee, you know, the production itself and the, the actual product you guys are creating? Or was this a specialized role that you were just leading the charge on all things COVID compliance? No, it just kind of happened. I'm I'm generally like the risk management person in general anyway, even pre-COVID times. Um, and safety is very important, making sure the team that I'm working with, whether I'm there in person or not, uh, making sure everybody's safe and healthy is very important. So kind of by default, I was like, well, this is important and this has to happen. So I did it. I think that's, that's really awesome. And just thinking of like, the events that I'm doing or anything that's being talked about going back in person. This I think is really valuable and I don't know that it's on everyone's radar. I think maybe it eventually would be, especially if it's like required, but as a planner, it's so important. I feel like to, to be listening to this and, and know it first so you can really help your client more and suggest that this might be a really good thing that we either should do or um, have to do and utilize it that way. And so yeah, I, I, I know that I'm learning a lot right now. So thank you so much. This is, this is super great. Well, I would also say in the planning process, if you're having anything in person, whether it is just a studio shoot with a small crew and an executive or any talent that's coming in to talk or a small audience, because I know there's talk about in the fall having some events with small audiences, um, you know, to have that conversation with your clients and make sure it is a line item in the budget, right? Because if you if you also look, again, I'm here in LA where they do a lot of film and TV production, right? So like a lot of these movies and TV shows that are filming here, they have huge line items for COVID compliance because it's not just the testing, but it's also the staff. You have to sanitize everything. Um, you know, you have to have PPE available for for your crew. You know, some of, some of the, um, 
performers that were on the set that I just was on were dancers. So during the rehearsals, they would change out their masks every couple hours because they would get really sweaty because they were wearing masks during rehearsals. So you have to make sure you have enough PPE um, and the proper type of masks um, and, and, and face shields and anything else. You know, we had mini hand sanitizers, gloves if anybody wanted, wipes to wipe anything down. In addition to the actual, they have these like spray gun things um, where like they're backpacks and you like spray like a super soaker and like love it, it like disinfects. Um, so yeah. And how many, you mentioned having like a COVID compliance officer for your project in Florida, but for Callie, I guess as an organizer, like you're saying, you have to have a line item for, for COVID compliance, but you're, you're saying it's all this physical things in addition to testing, but like, what about from a personnel perspective? Did you guys have people on site whose sole job was to make sure things were getting cleaned or people were staying six feet apart or like what, what did that extra staff that we didn't have to think about, you know, 18 months ago, what did that look like for your specific project? Well, yeah. So you hire a company that's a COVID compliance company. Um, there are some that have popped up in the last year. Um, and then there are some that are um, also like on-site medics that have added this as a service to their company. Um, so you can find a company that will staff it for you, right? So again, depending on the size of your production for the one that we had um, in Florida, as an example, we had one nurse who was the main uh, CCO, which stands for COVID Compliance Officer. And then we had an assistant for her um, just to help her manage everything. So she, the nurse was that one actually doing the physical testing as well as making sure everything was clean and sanitized. And then the assistant um, was was helping her, um, you know, keeping things clean and organized and um, tracking who was being tested uh, when, et cetera. Gotcha, so yeah. need a side gig. Sorry. <laughs> well, if you need a side gig, now's the time to start your, your COVID compliance company. That's what I'm... Well, you know, no, I, I have lot. heard some people adding that to their their like toolkit. It's like being COVID compliant certified, right? And having that so you can, whether you're not the person enforcing it, but you're the, you know, you have that authority and that training to then help advise on that. You can, and you need to keep reading. Again, it's where you are, depending where you are, especially in the next few months, I, I presume after the summer, things may change a little bit, hopefully for the better, we don't know yet. But um, but you also have to look at the liability. And again, I'm a risk management person. You also have to look at the liability and insurance that if you do start, it's one thing to take the course, which I believe we're gonna put one a link to one of the many courses in the notes here. But um, if, if you're starting the actual larger company, uh, insurance is a big thing because the other questions that come up are, okay, so you're testing everybody on site. What happens if someone tests positive? Yeah. Right. Do uh, like our our protocols were if they come back positive. Thankfully, so far, no one um, on any of the events I've worked on um, has come back positive. Um, but do they get they get tested a second time? right? But they're immediately quarantined and then they're sent home. They can't come back to set for X number of days. Again, LA County has very strict rules as to what happens if that, if someone does come back positive on your watch, um, but other places ne don't necessarily. So you need to have that conversation with your clients as well of like, okay, so what if your executive who's supposed to talk comes in and they're positive, who's going to replace them, right? Because they're not just going to pause and be like, oh, we'll come back in two weeks. Yeah. Well, A, the person may not be better in two weeks. I mean, and be like, that's a lot of money that they're putting out there that's gonna 
cost, right? And again, if you have a small audience and you have a, a talent or a speaker who's coming on or a performer who's coming on to be in front of everybody, both in person and, and virtually, you're not gonna stop the show because one person tests positive. So you need to have that conversation as well as to what happens and what is the protocol and what is considered um, the close contact, right? So theoretically your COVID compliance company would be able to have that guidance for you. I mean, we have like a 15 page document or something crazy of like all the line items within COVID compliance that we sent to our entire crew um, in advance. So people know what the protocols are and what ha if, if something happens, what, what the um, is gonna go down from there. So uh, that's just another conversation to add to the list when you're talking to your clients in the beginning. You know, we were probably five, six months into COVID. I, I know I would go down like a daily spiral. It felt like trying to imagine the added layer and of complication it puts to everything at events. Because like you said, it's not just, yes, it's a contingency plan. What happens if your speaker gets sick? But then if you, you know, what happens if your attendee gets, an attendee gets sick or a vendor gets sick? Or I was even thinking as a event planner, like I bring in staff to help me with events. What if one of my staffers gets sick? And thinking then one part of what's your risk for that staffer because they got sick on a job that you hired them for is one thing. But then also like you still have to, the show must go on. You still have to go. So just like in Broadway performances where there's understudies, like are we as event people going to have to have like a second team, you know, like bench players that we can like call in to like fill spots if something like that happened? I would say pretty much yes <laughs> is the short answer. You know, but, yeah. but as event professionals, that's what we do, right? Is we have, op, you know, option A, B, C, D through double Z, triple Z, right? We have backup plans upon backup plans. And this just, as you said, is an added layer of something to to prepare for. And obviously we hope to never have to go in into that backup that everybody stays safe and healthy. But, you know, the reality is it's unfortunately not always going to be the case. So you just have to plan and be prepared and act accordingly and quickly. Well, the three of us have been on a virtual, on many virtual events now at this point together. And I would say that it's the same thing that stands there where I say you make a backup plan. You have a backup plan so that you don't have to use it because if you don't have a plan, you're definitely going to wish at some point that you had a plan because something's going to happen. So it's like you're, you're preemptively preparing and then hopefully that sends things into the universe to make it, exactly. it not happen. But my exactly. big question for you would be, What's something that you wish you knew at the beginning of prepping for this hybrid shoot, both in Cali and the one you did in Florida that you know, that you knew now and, but wish you knew then. I don't, I don't know because I just kind of always keep reading. I know this is not really the best answer, but I always just kind of keep reading and keep informed. Um, but it's just, again, it's, it's, I'm very transparent when I do events with, with clients, um, or vendors that I work with. And it's, it's just always be very open and honest and be like, this is what it is. And you're going to have to put money towards it. Um, otherwise, you're just going to have to do it virtually. Right? Because I guess that maybe I don't know, some sometimes um, clients are hesitant about it. I'm like, well, these are people's livelihoods, and your executives livelihoods and anybody from your team who is there in person, and you want to protect not just them, but the entire crew that is there as well. And it's very important to do that. So uh, as I'm thinking through this, um, a lot of the clients that I work with are, are pretty small. Um, if we're talking about fundraisers, you know, which I know you have experience with fundraisers as well, Jacqueline, a lot of them do um, 
you know, like little donor events and things like that, where not many people are attending. And once again, it depends on where you live, but what advice do you have for these smaller, either, you know, organizations or smaller companies when it comes to enacting this and utilizing COVID compliance? Um, because it sounds like it could be costly and then maybe it depends a little bit too on where you live and the requirements because maybe all it really is is just a line item for you know certain I don't know sanitary items and things like that so what advice do you have in that situation and it also depends on what type of the event is right and how many people are there so my advice would be um, maybe someone within the organization takes the COVID compliance officer um, class right there's many out there um, but maybe someone in the organization takes the class, or you know someone who um, may, maybe the the onsite medic who you used to have, right? And then maybe in a small event you don't have an onsite medic, but maybe you know someone and they have their own company. Just have an open conversation with them. Would be like, all right, like kind of a consultation of like, okay, this is the type of event we're going to do. Whether it's um, like a small outside like cocktail reception where everything can be easily socially distant. Um, even though people are having a cocktail. Um, but again, it also changes the whole food aspect, but that's not the part of this conversation. But, um, you know, and so it's just it's just having the conversation and, and informing yourself because it can be just the testing and what we're calling as the PPE, which is personal protective equipment for those who by now, if you don't know what PPE is, um, but, um, you know, making sure you have, a, you know, a box of, of cleaning wipes and hand sanitizer and, and gloves for anybody who would need it. Um, that's an attendee. Sometimes people people want to wear gloves. Um, but it, I think it doesn't, I, I know that sometimes there's, there's um, organizations that are um, more grassroots, so to speak, and they're like, well, I don't have the money to, to do this. Well, you, there is a way to do it where it's not crazy expensive, depending on, again, depending on the type of the event that you're having. Um, and that's also part of the larger conversation, which we didn't really get into, is when you start having actual attendees come back to the event, not just the studio shoots with the executives, what does that look like? And maybe in a few months, we can come back and have that conversation as more people are vaccinated and, and um, there are more in-person hybrid type events out there. Um, but, you know, it the the answer is there is no good answer it's all individualized and depends yeah except the only answer would be to not think about it at all is the wrong answer agreed yes <laughs> like i i just think i, I just want to say that because i feel like there are definitely people in event circles that are excited to like think that we're just going to go back to exactly the way things were before and i'm not saying that we can't get back to all that fun the you know all the fun stuff that we remember about in person events but i do believe that this is going to be a factor that is going to be in the event industry for more than just this year, uh, if not several years. Um, and then if anything, just even change the whole way. I, I mean, you guys could probably commiserate, you know, you've, I've gone to the, an event before when I've had a cold because I've had to work and there's no option to like call somebody else, but you're, you're not, you don't feel like you're contagious. You're just going to power through your sore throat or whatever it is. But now in COVID time, you know, now since COVID, like that could be a, a no starter, a reason why you're not able to come and work at an event. My, my last event that I did in person pre COVID was a basketball tournament with the PAC 12 conference. And they lit the, the, like 
leaders that legitimately had a conversation with the whole team because COVID was starting to be a thing. It was a little bit in Seattle, a couple areas. And they said, if you have a tickle in your throat, a cold, whatever it is, like, we don't care. Do not come into work. Stay in your hotel room. Like, keep us posted. We can keep tabs on you. But like, I don't want to see anyone down here who's not feeling well because we're taking this COVID thing very seriously. And that was before we knew everything that we know now. But it was seen then as like, oh, it was something they'd explicitly say because as event people, we kind of powered through whatever you had just to get the job done. And so to me, like ignoring it and putting your head in, you know, head in the ground and thinking you can do exactly what you did before without having any COVID compliance of any form, no matter where you are, I think is just, it feels a little tone deaf. And so that was my big takeaway and why I was so excited to talk to you, Jacqueline, because I think you can learn from how other people are doing it. And it's exciting to hear that you can either do it really big budget or you can also do it you know, pretty, pretty affordably. You just need to think strategically about it. Yeah. And, and just be open and honest with your client and, you know, give them the, the line items of the costs of things um, and find someone knowledgeable, um, whether they're near you or not, just someone knowledgeable in, in COVID compliance that can help guide you. Yeah. And have you found, um, I know we're, we're getting to the end of our show, but I did have one more question about just how it impacted like your relationship with the client. Like, did you guys start instituting, like talking about the COVID aspect the minute they said they wanted to be hybrid or did you already have you gone down some of the, you know, the content, the production planning, and then all of a sudden instituted like, oh, we need to really be thinking about this through a COVID lens. Um, both for different types of events. Um, Cause like I said, I've worked on a few different um, studio shoots now for for events where again there's no audience just an executive that comes in to talk um and so um uh yeah it's just an ongoing conversation and ideally um it starts in the beginning the minute your client says okay we're gonna do this portion of it in person you're like okay i'm gonna get you the covid the covid budget the COVID numbers, you know, and you'll need to know like how many people they're going to be and who's there what day and how many days so you can know what your testing policy is going to be and how, how often how often you're going to test and if someone is there like every two days or just there for load in and load out, you know, are you going to test them on the uh, both both when times they're there so it's it, it can be super easy, especially if it's just a one day thing. Or it can be on the more complicated side, like I just um, was working on. Does that answer your question? That does. That okay. does. Well, Jacqueline, thank you so much for, you are just a wealth of knowledge. And like I said before, I've learned so much. So thank you for sharing it with us. And, uh, but we do want to make sure that listeners can know where to find you. And also a quick touch too on the services that you offer, if you want to touch on that. So where can they find you and Plan Me Away LLC? So um, my website is planmeaway.co, that's .co. You can leave off the M, um, but don't leave off Mary. Um, and I, my, my Instagram is also planmeaway, at planmeaway. And my Twitter is also at planmeaway. I have a Facebook page, which I should get more into, which is a whole nother conversation. Um, but part, what I do is uh, event production. Uh, I now am working in virtual events. As you've heard, I also can now do hybrid events, COVID compliance, um, logistics, all of it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. 
She's also my like Zoom webinar guru. I know we didn't touch on anything related to that, but she also in this virtual world has known everything and anything there is to know about Zoom webinars. <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, Jacqueline, this was so much fun. I feel like very, I mean, I feel like we learned a lot again. This is like, again, one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to be able to talk with our friends and um, learn ourselves. But for me, I guess my biggest takeaway from, I think I said it a little bit earlier, but knowing that COVID compliance is going to have an impact on anybody's event, whether it's a small event or a big event and the financial investment to go along with being COVID compliant really does have a big range, but that you need to start talking with someone who has experience with COVID compliance already to start thinking strategically about how it impacts your event. Because I know smaller events that have smaller budgets um, are probably thinking a hybrid would not cost that much more than an in-person, if not less. And I know from anecdotally talking to you, Jacqueline, and to other people, it's actually costing more. It's like having two events, an in-person and a virtual. So and that's not even th talking through the COVID side of things. So that's I know because you need a team to kind of work on both sides. But yeah, that's a whole need... other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need both. But I, I just hope our listeners are not intimidated and know that this is an ever-changing space. As we get more into human herd immunity, things will change. But I think it, it doesn't hurt you no matter if you're listening to this now or at the end of 2021. It's still going to have an impact. And there are still you know things that we've talked about today that I think you need to be thinking about moving forward for the next couple of years. And we'll make sure to link um, some of the resources that we've talked about today in the show notes. Uh, anything that Jacqueline wants to send our way, we're happy to link it. That might be helpful, including the, the course that we talked about as well. So be sure to check that out. And before we end, we it is time for our bonus tip. It's bonus tip time. Um, and today it's not quite related to the topic. Sometimes it's just a random fun little bonus tip we want to share with you. And today it's how to reduce your event's carbon footprint. And this is important because as we begin doing hybrid events or going back to in-person, there are lots of things that we can keep in mind as we go about being more environmentally friendly in our events. So there are just a few that I want to share with you today. Um, these are from a website, which I will link in the show notes as well, if you'd like some more ideas. Um, I've heard this first one a few times, and I thought it's super interesting. Um, but cows produce roughly 150 billion gallons of methane each year. So going plant-based for your menu would be much more environmentally friendly. Now, I'm not sure about the reality of this, and it depends on your audience as well. But if you can at least offer a plant-based option instead of maybe a different type of option, then that can be more uh, environmentally friendly. Another thing that you can do is that this one kind of is a no-brainer, but it's your food waste. So how can you kind of minimize that? And one way to do that is by establishing a plan with your caterers beforehand. So you can talk about packaging and disposal and all that good stuff. Um, a third thing that you can do is encourage carpooling and rideshare. This is something that I know that I've really tried to implement in my events. Part of it is because parking lots are simply too small, but <laughs> carpooling and rideshare really do um, help as well. So those are those are some tips for you. I will link those in the notes and hopefully it's helpful to you as you go back to your hybrid and in-person events. Yeah. Thanks, Mary, for our, our bonus tip. And you guys can follow us on Instagram at Better Events Pod or send us an email if you have follow-up questions for Jacqueline, for us, for anything about what are you thinking about with hybrid and COVID compliance, even getting back to all in person again, uh, send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. And we just want to thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode in your ears next week. Bye, guys. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>